0: You're listening to the Heal Better Fast podcast, dedicated to bridging the gap between alternative healthcare and mainstream medicine in utilizing everything good to help you feel great. We're glad you tuned in. Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Pound. In today's interview,
1: we talk about pain. From where pain comes from to how pain works, we cover the bases. Most important, we talk about good pain versus bad pain, how much is too much pain, the harmful effects of pain, and what to do about it. Dr. Vedan and I also discussed the opioid epidemic, how we got here, and a hint to the solution, which is actually already in the works. Please welcome my guest today, Dr. Vedan. All right, good morning, Dr. Vedan, here with us to talk about Pain, a big subject for our listeners because most everyone experiences it. But more importantly, we're going to talk about the effects it can have on one's health and what you can do about it. So I appreciate you taking the time to be with me this morning and uh, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Dr. Brown. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on and having me uh, be able to share with the audience and just help people understand other things that they can do for their pain.
1: So speaking of pain, a lot of my patients will come in. And I'm sure you experience this as well, but they want to know... Uh, first of all, most of them are in pain, right? And so, let's talk a little bit sure. about what what is pain and and where does pain
0: come from? Sure. So, you know, it's a great question with where does pain come from. Um, I mean, really, what it is it's it's a, it's an effect of what's happening to let your body know that there's a problem here, right? So, your body is letting your brain know there's a problem here, and we've got to get this thing corrected. And that's the signal back to it. It's the, the afferent, deferent loop that we learned about, right? So it's the brain signal going to the body, the body signal coming back to the brain to tell it, this is not functioning the way that it should be, and we need to get this corrected. Um, you know, we're taught, right, as, as uh, we're taught all the time to ignore the pain and just keep fighting through it, and keep doing whatever it is. But that pain, you know, it, it serves a b- very important function in the fact that it lets us know that there's a problem that needs to get addressed or corrected, or otherwise, that area is going to eventually start to break down and not function as it's supposed to. So we've got to make sure that we get those things corrected sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because I have some patients occasionally who will use that phrase, no pain, no gain. And so I want to talk a little sure. bit about what is uh, a good pain versus bad pain. And, and really, how should people be able to, uh, know to know the difference between the two types of pain and what is a good signal and what is a bad signal?
0: Oh, that's an excellent question. So, uh, good pain would be the thing that hey, look, I've done something and I can uh, I can attribute this back to it. That is a positive thing. So I've I've been exercising, like you said, we hear that a lot. With no pain, no gain. We hear that a lot with exercise, right? Where we're lifting weights or we're doing some type of activity. Um, even then, though, we've got to realize, all right, is this pain one that's a, a sharp, burning? Uh, is it a dull ache? Like what is it that's going on there? Versus, all right, that is sore, that is tender, that is uh, those kind of activities or those kind of feelings or sensations are going to be a different one that we need to make sure that we're we're addressing things differently. So the idea would be if it's a sharp, a burning, a long-lasting, a dull ache that's just a throbbing, or I know if I do that activity, it will definitely cause this kind of pain. Then you already know, like we innately already know that's a problem, and that's been a long-term problem. So typically what happens is, is people start avoiding those activities that they should be doing that are healthy for them or you're going to help them. And they start to deteriorate further and further and further because the pain that incurs from them doing that activity. For example, if somebody knows I should walk or I used to love to walk because then I could lose weight. I just felt better and I had more energy. But because of this pain in my knee, my hip, my low back, my whatever, I've stopped doing that because every time I do it, it incurs more pain. So they stop doing the activity that's good for them and then start becoming more sedentary. And as they start to do that, and they try to get back into that exercise routine again, it starts to flare that back up because the injury, the problem has never been corrected. And they thought it was gone because, well, I stopped doing the thing, so it stopped causing the pain. But as soon as they get back into doing that thing again, it causes pain again. And when it causes pain again, then that's a, that's a long-term problem that has to be addressed and corrected. On the short term, whenever we have things like I've got soreness or I've got tenderness because I went and exercised or I worked in the garden or that kind of a thing. That's a different type of, that's just, this area hasn't been worked in a while. And it's a much different category of pain. It's a, it's more of a, I know that I've done something here that is a short-term issue that I can then do things like rest, ice, heat, whatever it happens to be for that particular issue that I need to do at that time in order to decrease the pain and the problem and make sure that I can get back to functioning like I'm supposed to.
1: Yeah, I like that you brought that up right now too. We see this a lot where, you know, you just be persistent, just work through it. That's how you get the best things in life is going through some pain, right? Is some growth. That's how we grow right. is, is some pain. And so oftentimes it's really hard to figure out what is that pain to work through and my rule of thumb for my patients, it, it typically just something easy to remember is if you if you don't have to modify your activities and if it, it gets better in a day or two that's probably the good type of pain that's recoverable. but if right. you can't right. uh, or you're not or you have to modify then then your body is trying to tell you something and I think that nowadays people wear this. High pain tolerance is a badge of honor right well i've got a high pain tolerance oh, sure or, or some some people will say I have a low pain tolerance. they don't even know what what it means you know but uh, I've, I've high pain tolerance is is tied to silent uh problems and even up leading up to heart attack risk and so it's not necessarily in my opinion a, a badge of honor right when someone comes in and says I have a high right. pain tolerance it's like a ticking time bomb, <laughs> so I, I know i've got to do my due diligence when it comes to those people but when it talk when we talk about rating pain, I'm sure you see this in, in clinic as well. How do you really determine if the person telling you how how bad their pain is is actually real?
0: Yeah, that's an excellent question. So clinically, right? So in my office, whenever we're doing that, we're going to look at we're going to find their subjective findings, as in like how how is it that they're determining what's going on is is really a long term problem or. Is it something that uh, that they've just recently done, or is it something that they've recently done that has flared up a long-lasting problem? So uh, I injured this back in college, or I injured this back whenever I was younger, and now it's become an ongoing problem. And every time I do X, it results in this type of pain. Um, when I'm determining what we're looking for as far as, and, and I guess I, I would wonder, are we looking at? Because I, I always assume, I make the assumption that whenever someone comes to see me, it's because of the fact that there is some type of a problem that's going on, or they're trying to prevent a long-term problem from going on. And so, when they come into me, I want to find out, like, all right, objectively, what's really going on. So we use X-ray in order to determine that, or we use or, or we use orthopedic testing, or we use um, neurologic testing in order to determine, all right, what's really happening here? What's the underlying issue that needs to be corrected? For us, we use all those things, put all that together, and then explain it to the patient and say, this is what we found that's going on. It's no wonder you're hurting. You should be hurting. This is what's happening here, and let's get that corrected. And those are often the times where people will say, well, you know, it's good to know that this is what's actually happening because no one else could give me an answer. Instead, I was just getting, you know, take this pill, do this thing, whatever it is. And whenever there's often a structural problem there, it's not being found, and so we want to find their structural problems, make sure they get corrected so that that first, act of on their body to heal and they can get back to doing the things that they love to do, want to do, need to do.
1: When you're, when you're treating someone, let's say a high school baseball player and they come in with their parents and their parents are sitting there looking at you and they're saying, okay, can he play this weekend and, uh, right. know, because of whatever's going on versus a professional athlete, which you and I have both treated and, and their sure. livelihood depends on whether they can play this weekend or not. Much different. There's, there's two yeah. different answers there because it, it, they'll always ask me, can I play? And, and the first thought is, well, of course, anyone can play, you know. And, and But they're, right. they're determined, what, is it going to hurt it worse? Well, you know, as with treating athletes, they've, they've got a limited career, limited time. Their goal is to right. go and play. And so oftentimes they're playing through a lot of this pain. And, but I, I, my opinion is that you shouldn't necessarily rest everything either because there's certain amount of, of play through that you should
0: as well. Sure. I, I feel the same way that, um, quite often I'll go with my, with my younger athletes. We'll go more on the conservative route and it's, look, let's, let's let it rest some, but still get out there and throw some, let's do some things. But playing in a game is a much different scenario than in practice or in BP or, you know, in batting practice or whatever it is, right? Then what we're talking, you know, our, our baseball athletes. Um, but at the same time, I want to make sure that we're, we're protecting the athlete from any future harm and future problems so that they can then have a – continue to have the career they want uh, and have a long-lasting one. Um, I have no qualms or problems with telling an athlete, look, you can play. Like you said, you can play through this. But at the same time, you're going to increase – chance of having this be a long-term problem and I do not recommend it don't do it and whenever we have those scenarios it's always a and that's always on an individual basis right that's always one where let's see what's really going on and see like how much are we going to be able to test this and what's really happening there as to how much we can actually get them out there and play when it's a professional athlete like you said their career is so so short-lived that they've got to get out there a lot of times and it's like, all right, well, let's do everything we can to to bandage you up and get you out there and get you playing so that you can perform and you can do what you need to do and you can provide for your family and, you know, do the things you need to for your livelihood.
1: Almost everyone is who shows up is showing up because it's it's past their tolerance and they want to. there's something sure. that they can't do and they want to do, uh, do something about it. And almost all of them are worried about it as, to some extent. So is pain really dangerous? Can someone die of pain? You know, because it, it can be pretty worrisome for some of these people who come in in excruciating pain.
0: Yeah. And I don't know that, uh, that I would say that they could die from, like you said, like die from pain. Um, but like you've went led back to before where it's all right look i've got a high pain tolerance so i'm going to keep toughing this out which then becomes a ruptured appendix right and which then becomes a whatever it is like fill in the blank with whatever we want there um i think it depends on where the pain is and what their signs and symptoms are leading to um if we're having shooting pain down into the the left arm and into the jaw and into the neck then and you're feeling a little off in, in the head and everything else, you probably don't want to just keep toughing that out. You, you want to go get checked out at the ER because you might be having a heart attack right now. Um, so I think those are times where with all of this, the the key with everything, with, with everything in our life as far as dealing with how our body functions and pain and whatnot is listening to your body and actually being intelligent with it and listening and saying, okay, what are my parameters? What is it that I need to be looking at? And what is it that... I believe this is probably too much, but my ego won't allow me to then say it's too much. And I need someone else to say that it's too much and you need to get this in check. Or uh, can we put that ego in check and then go, all right, look, this is, this is what I need to do. Um, Cause we've all been there where it's like, hey, look, ego gets in the way and I, I've got to stay out on the field. I've got to do whatever it is. And I've got to continue to push through only to realize that that now means that we're going to have a long-term problem. We're going to pay for it somewhere. And we're either going to pay for it on the front end, and it's going to take us less time, effort, energy, or money, or it's going to be paid for on the back end where it's going to be a a lot more time, effort, energy, and money. So I always kind of look at it from those perspectives with our patients of, well, what is it that we need to do right now in order to address the issue and get you back to doing the things that you need to do, want to do, love to do?
1: Yeah. And and speaking about what to do about pain, I think that Personally, when when I've got patients, I I don't believe that you have to live in pain. I believe that we all do deal with it at some point in our life. But that living in pain can eventually... Uh, cause you harm, if not kill you. And, and for sure. lots of reasons for the, the increase in, in, in blood pressure, the increase in heart rate, the decrease in immunity, increased in risk in heart disease. Sure. But when we also talk about what people do about it is typically there does, it it does get to the point where you've got to do something about it. And a lot of times what people will do is just reach for something quick that they can take. And a quick fix. As, sure. as my, uh, I used to work in a pain management clinic. And so it's working in that clinic. It was you know like a candy factory, and I could yeah. I could definitely see the the problems that 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 pain can lead to when it comes to opioid use. And this yes. this doctor that I worked with he's a Stanford anesthesiologist, brilliant doctor, really really conservative when it comes to medical doctors. But even in in that sense, it really gave me a different perspective of dealing with people. In, in, in horrible pain when you're dealing with people who have been through surgeries or cancer or uh, these terminal illnesses that, um, that really kind of gave me a new perspective on, on pain. And, and when we talk to our patients in pain, most people coming into our clinics are, it, it, could, it could be either an acute flare up or some chronic problem, fibromyalgia, low back pain, you know, uh, arthritis, um, headaches. And so when we're dealing with people in pain, and the types of treatment for pain. How many patients would you say you deal with, or that come to you? Maybe new patients that have had experience with some sort of um, medication, and um, and where do you see this our country going as far as the the, the types of treatment that we use?
0: Yeah, excellent question there. Um... Unfortunately, I I find that a lot of people, like you said, have gone for the the quick fix, where they've gone for the quick fix of I'm going to take this pill, I'm going to I'm going to do this and, and see what happens. Um, now that might be NSAIDs, or aspirin, or Tylenols, and, and ibuprofen, all that kind of stuff, um, up to opioids. And what I'm seeing across the board is that we're seeing more and more people that are now taking opioids. Um, unfortunately that it's become more of an issue, right? It's become more and more of an issue where people are taking the opioids to try to fix the problem, but it doesn't. In fact, Harvard put out um, an article that talked about Harvard health, put out an article that talked about the fact that as more and more people are taking these opioids for even chronic conditions, acute conditions, that they're finding that it's not, it, it doesn't work and it's not correcting the problem. The other thing that they're finding is that as they're taking more and more of those opioids, that, not only is it not correcting the problem, but more and more people are becoming addicted to it. So the risk is extremely high whenever we think about that. Uh, the CDC or the yeah, – it wasn't the CDC, but it was uh, another report that, they, that somebody else put out. I'll, I'll get that for you as far as a reference goes. Um, it's not coming to me right now. But they did a report, and they found that up to 26% of people that are prescribed opioids on their first prescription of opioids are then addicted. So that's over a quarter of our mothers, fathers, kids, aunts, uncles, parents, like all those people that are out there that are getting prescribed opioids on that first time, 26% of them are now addicted to opioids. That's a ridiculous number of people that get addicted to this. And then if you take back over the past year, up to 75% of the people that are addicted to heroin, started off taking opioids because they got addicted to opioids and then had to transfer over to things like heroin, which is ridiculous. And whenever you start to consider the number of deaths per day, and I'm not trying to go dark here, I'm just, just trying to say, like, I don't think that our, our society, like you talk about the direction of our society, our society doesn't realize how bad this opioid epidemic is. They don't realize how badly people can get addicted to it, how severe it can be to their health, to what it can mean to their family, not just to them being addicted, but what it then does to their entire family, uh, to their husbands, wives, kids. Whenever we think about those things, the cost versus the benefit, like the cost, the the benefit is not good enough. Like being out of pain for a little bit and having it get fixed and having it to where, oh, well, this, this made it feel better. It didn't fix the problem. It made it feel better. That's the problem. Like that's the rub. That's the issue is that there's a physical problem going on, it's not being addressed, and then we're just taking a, a pill to try to cover it up and not fix the issue. Well, why not do things that are actually gonna fix the problem? Because down this path, it's it's bad. I mean, we've got 175 deaths per day. That's according to our, a White House paper that got put out, 175 deaths per day. Over half of those are from prescribed opioids. And whenever you think about that, that's a ton of people that are dying every single day, and we tend to think of them not as our mother and our father and our aunts and our uncles and our cousins and our, our kids, we tend to think of it as addicts, like the vision that we have is addicts, and that's not what it is, it's, it's actually our neighbors, it's actually the people we go to church with, it's the, it's the people that our kids play soccer with, it's all those people that are getting addicted and then becoming that addict that then ends up dying. And uh, and we've got to make changes. Like something has to change there. And the, the White House just signed a bill, a 600 page bill that's going to follow what happened in North Carolina. Oh, I'm sorry, West Virginia. West Virginia is one of the hardest hit states for opioids and the addiction and the crisis that's going on there. And they're following suit with that. And chiropractic and physical therapy and acupuncture, those are all part of the play to say, do these things first before you ever consider getting a prescription of opioids. So that, that's coming down the, down the pipe and that's going to be uh, going nationwide here soon.
1: Yeah, that's pretty exciting because people will always ask me, you know, sh- am I at the right place? Should I be here? And I'm, I'm with you. Unless you find the root, it's like using a Band-Aid on an amputated arm, right? Uh, people, right. I- I'm sure you see this, people may come in as a new patient and, and I can see them, you know, sometimes every, every now and again I'll come across someone who's like, I can tell they're just afraid. And I ask them, you know, what, sure. what what's the fear? Of? I'm, I'm, I've never been to a chiropractor before and I'm kind of afraid. And uh, these these could be people on on opioid medication, and and like you said, when you compare the risks and the benefits, uh, it's 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 a no brainer.
0: Oh yeah, it's it, it's absolutely a no brainer. And you know, whenever you have people like Harvard saying that, you have you know Harvard even said, look, chiropractic care can help with these types of things. It can help with these types of chronic issues. Can actually correct these things like back pain, sprain, uh, strains. It can help with things like. Discs. It can help with all these things. It can even help with just overall health and well-being to allow your body to heal itself. And whenever you consider the fact that those are the options that are out there, as opposed to a highly addictive uh, drug that could I could lose absolutely everything in my entire life because of taking this. Like you're right, it's a no-brainer.
1: Now, I don't know if you've if you've had experience with this, but I, working at a pain management clinic, I have seen people who are. Uh, addicted on medication. And oftentimes, there's this stigma that goes along with it. And I think when people go to their doctors and get the the medication, maybe there's uh, a disconnect there. But uh, oftentimes, people won't even realize that they're uh, addicted, or, or they think of an addict, they've got this, again, a certain stigma, they don't realize what the addiction is. But addiction is is a withdrawal process your body craving it and right. and, and that's just a, it's a natural response
0: absolutely that, that's absolutely correct i mean we're look if you if you take a snapshot at, at of all of us across the u.s we're all addicted to sugar and it's in everything try not taking sugar, eating any sugar for three days and your body's going to have withdrawals you know same thing for caffeine same thing for you know uh so many of these things so your body can get addicted to it without you having to, like you said, be an abuser of it. So on that first, that initial, that 26% of those people that can be addicted to opioids, that 26%, they, they didn't abuse it. They, they did what they were told by their doctor, and then they got addicted. They were, their body just physically became addicted to it. The problem is we don't have a good screening process for understanding these are the people that are more susceptible to that. Uh, these are the people that are going to be in that category. Um, everyone can be addicted to sugar and caffeine and all those things. And, and I believe that in a long enough timeline, everyone can be addicted to opioids uh, in some degree or another, but other ones just to, to no fault of their own. It's just the chemical makeup of their body. They are going to get more addicted to it than others. And that doesn't make them an addict, like you said. It doesn't have, it's not, they shouldn't be shunned and in a negative light. It should be. No, these people just. This is what happened to them, and they need they need help. They need to get fixed, and uh, and they need to have it to where the problem that they're dealing with is addressed. The addiction that they're dealing with is addressed, and that they get the help that they need. And, and we do that in our office too. We have people that come into us that are that are definitely dealing with a physical problem that they originally got the prescription of the medication for the opioid or whatever it happens to be. They originally got this prescription prescribed to them um, for correcting this problem. It never correct the problem, but now they're physically addicted to the medication as well. So they can't stop taking the medication because it's just so terribly painful to not have it. And so there's a, there's a whole process they have to go through with that too. In the meantime, we're helping them address what's causing the actual physical pain, not, not the physical pain of the addiction, but the physical pain as to why they originally had that prescription given to them.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because I've got an interview coming down the pike with a guy who has actually developed a genetic test to test your susceptibility to becoming addicted to certain medication, especially pain medication, nice. and so this yeah. test is is being has been tested. It's already it's being rolled out to to pre-screen everyone before they actually get the medication. And I think we're going to see, like you said, uh, a certain other criteria that need to be met before people even get prescribed their first opioid. Which brings us to the next point what do you think the solution to this problem? I mean, it's a little, a little overwhelming. We've got a big problem here
0: yeah. in the U S. So what's yeah. the solution to this yeah. problem? Oh man, it's, um, the, the simple, my simple answer. And, and this is a, this would admittedly be just a, an answer from a naive standpoint and an ideological standpoint would just be, well, don't take any of the medication. I like, just don't take any of the opioids. Don't do any of that stuff. Cause we know the negative effects that's not going to happen. Um, because people they aren't getting the results they want as far as the pain gone from this other medication and they're educated enough to understand and these are highly educated people i don't mean it like that i mean it from the fact of they just need to understand from from the standpoint of if there's a physical problem there's no chemical solution that's going to fix that if there's a right so if there's a a problem in their spine where it's not aligned correctly or in their pelvis or in their in their knee or whatever it is, there's no chemical that's going to fix that alignment. It's got to be aligned correctly to then fix and allow it to heal. Now, does it mean that you can't do it in conjunction with other things? That depends on somebody's philosophy as to what it is that they want to do within that. So for me, the, the the answer would be, okay, let's fix the problem, the actual physical problem that's causing this long-term issue that's been going on. And then that would be the simple answer. The, the, the more complex answer is, is the 600 page bill that our government just signed, which goes into, we've got to address what's going on with the, the addicted babies that are addicted. I mean, there's so many babies that are being born now that are addicted to opioids. Like we dealt with the crack baby epidemic that we dealt with just a couple of decades ago. We're dealing with that same thing with opioids now. Um, it's so many levels of so many things that have to be addressed that it's, it's overwhelming. And we either get a handle on it now and we start to get educated on those things now, or we're really going to be paying for it in the long run. We're already paying for it now. There's already far too many people that are dying from this, that just don't know that they, that I didn't realize that I could get addicted to this this easily. I didn't realize that this would cause these problems. I didn't realize that, that my whole life would be destroyed from taking this thing. Um, or even just as simple as I didn't realize this wasn't going to fix my problem. I'm not addicted, but I didn't realize that this wasn't going to fix my problem. Um, I didn't realize that there was actually a physical solution to this and whatever that is, right. Whether or not that's chiropractic or physical therapy or, um, some other type of rehab that they need to do, whatever it is to correct the problem so that they don't have to take any of the medications and they don't have to be dependent upon that. And so that they can get back to doing the things that they want to do, um, that's kind of my short answer for a very very extremely complex answer that uh that that spans far too many things to just uh to just go into right now there's so much to to, to cover on that but hopefully that that kind of gives people a tip of the iceberg of okay i need to figure out what's causing my pain like what is actually causing it because a pill isn't going to fix that if there's something that's causing this type of pain here that's like you and i are talking about in the physical sense This pill is not going to fix it. And even if it's whatever it is, what's actually the source of the issue? It's not because of the fact that we need more medications in our body. It's because of the fact that something along the way has caused this problem to persist, and we need to get it actually fixed and corrected.
1: And I can tell, I mean, I've, I've seen your stuff. I know you're out ed- trying to educate people, both uh, yeah. patients and other doctors, on how to better help people overcome pain, on how to p- get people functional. Uh, you're, doing, you're doing the work. You're out there. You're in the media, and we're here talking Thank about you. it. I think this is all very important, and it adds to the solution rather than making the problem worse. And so I appreciate you taking time to be on the show today with me. Can you tell us a little bit about if people want to connect with you, how to find out more about you or what you got coming down the pike?
0: Sure. Anybody that wants to connect with me, um, you know, I'm I'm like a lot of people I'm on social media We're everywhere. So we're on Instagram, Dr. Alex Vidan. So D-R-A-L-A-X-V-I-D-A-N. They can connect with you there. Um, Facebook, of course, same thing. But um, probably the... The biggest thing that we have coming down the pipe is is that we take care of and we treat and we co-manage a ton of temporomandibular joint dysfunction patients. So TMD, TMJ patients, uh, TMJD patients. Those are a lot of people that have chronic ongoing pain. And a lot of them are being prescribed medications and they're being prescribed everything to try to fix the problem. Uh, We work with the oral care providers and we train other docs how to do that too. So we train other docs how to, in their community, be the go-to doc that's going to help these people because temporomandibular joint dysfunction is the second largest musculoskeletal disorder that there is. Number one is low back pain. Number two is TMJ. And so when you think about that, you think about the number of people that are out there that need help and are looking for answers and just aren't getting it from anywhere. um, We can be perfectly positioned to help those people. So if somebody is interested in that, they want to find out more, go to drtmjd.com. So that's drtmjd dot com. And, uh, and just check out what we have coming up and we've got, you know, dates coming. We are we're always doing seminars. We do them here in St. Louis. We do them all over the U S all over the world. And we're training docs from everywhere. And, um, and it's something that we love to do. And and like you said, I, I love getting the message out there of helping more people. I truly appreciate what you're doing to educate the community too, because so many people need to hear this. And so many people need to hear about what they can do themselves help and educated on new things that they normally wouldn't hear anywhere so thank you for doing what you're doing too to to help our communities and help our docs that are out there and help the public understand what it is that they need to do and and can do and what their actual options are their health options really are
1: oh yeah it was a pleasure having you on the show today and again thank you for taking the time as well it's uh it's a joint effort here and and um appreciate you taking the time to get the word out thank you doc
0: Thanks for listening to the Heal Better Fast podcast at www.healbetterfast.com.